In December 2019, Canada made a promise to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. And as Earth's climate keeps warming, demand for low carbon energy will only get bigger. Two technologies, small modular nuclear reactors, or SMRs, and hydrogen, could very well be the key to keeping our promise. But these technologies have been around for years. What's so special about them? Why are we still waiting for them to break through? And how can Canada lead the way in making that happen? I'm Kira Johnston, and this is the Leadership Perspective series from the Conference Board of Canada. Each episode, we sit down with an expert or experts to hear their perspectives on an issue that's affecting the lives of Canadians. Joining us today is Dr. Babatunde Oleteju from the Conference Board's Sustainability Team. And we're going to talk about SMRs, hydrogen, and Canada's clean energy future. Welcome, Tunde. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. Let's talk about small modular reactors, or SMRs. Can you explain what they are and how they could be useful in tackling climate change? Small modular nuclear reactors, as the name suggests, are miniature versions of the conventional larger reactors. Rather than being at the gigawatt scale, you're talking about a reactor that ranges from about 5 megawatts to 300 megawatts in size. The key attribute about these SMRs is that they're able to produce electricity and heat without carbon emissions. That is key as Canada and other advanced economies seek to transition into a carbon neutral economy by 2050. This is why there is much interest at the conference board and other circles regarding what it would take to actually make small modular nuclear reactors a reality in Canada. We know that SMRs generate a lot less radioactive waste, but could you explain what kind of waste they do make? Yes, they do create radioactive waste. In terms of the kind of waste, it's going to be similar in nature and composition to the waste produced by the reactors that use enriched uranium. These small modular reactors will also use enriched uranium. So the fuel input is not too different from what we have with the conventional reactor. However, where we have some important differences is that one is that the volume of radioactive waste produced is going to be significantly less. Because of the small footprint, you're going to have much more reduced volumes of radioactive waste. And the second is that some of these SMRs are able to reuse this radioactive waste. The industry term for it is spent fuel. But able to reuse the spent fuel as an input into producing electricity. That recycling of the fuel allows the waste that is eventually produced to be radioactive for a much more reduced amount of time compared to larger reactors. So this reduces the challenges associated with managing radioactive waste in the long term compared to larger reactors. Right now, are there any Canadian companies that are actively developing commercial SMRs? Yes, they are. At the moment, we have about over 50 different reactor designs in the market. A number of different countries from China, Russia, South Korea, France, the UK, etc., all working to develop different reactor designs and get them licensed and get them to market. We have, to our knowledge, about three Canadian entities with reactor designs of their own. We have a relatively small contingent in the market at the moment, but that could change. We'll see how things unfold in the next couple of years in Canada, given the renewed interest and enthusiasm. We've had a couple of provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, Ontario, actually come together and sign a memorandum of understanding to develop the SMR. So that may change depending on how the future unfolds. Another technology your team's focusing on is hydrogen. 
What's the difference between gray, blue, and green hydrogen? The gray hydrogen refers to the production of hydrogen from fossil fuels, so mainly natural gas. That's currently the way we produce hydrogen at the moment. In 2018, globally, we consumed about 70 million tons of hydrogen. It's not a trivial amount that we're consuming at the moment. Gray hydrogen is from fossil fuels, mainly natural gas. Blue hydrogen, on the other hand, is still from fossil fuels, but with the added element of carbon capture and storage technology. Now, what that means is that at the plant site where the hydrogen is produced, there's this add-on technology that would capture the carbon emissions, not all of it, but up to about 90% of it, from the hydrogen that's being produced, and then store that below ground. And that way, we're reducing the emissions footprint associated with hydrogen production from fossil fuels. It's the carbon emissions from fossil fuels that are problematic, not necessarily fossil fuels themselves. That's blue hydrogen. Then lastly, we have green hydrogen. Green hydrogen involves the production of hydrogen from renewable electricity. That could be from wind, solar, or hydroelectricity. Using a process known as electrolysis, where you split water into its constituent parts, oxygen and hydrogen. That's how we produce green hydrogen, from renewable electricity using electrolysis. Green hydrogen is the cleanest version? Yes, it is, at least from a carbon footprint perspective. Renewable resources considered zero emissions sources of electricity. However, they're not the only ones. Nuclear also produces zero emissions electricity. These technologies have trade-offs. With renewables, you have an intermittent production of this green electricity and essentially an intermittent production of green hydrogen. With technologies such as nuclear, if they use to produce hydrogen, you wouldn't have that intermittent attribute associated with the hydrogen production. It would be more reliable more baseload. That is the dominant industry term that is used to describe that, but essentially to be non-intermittent. Whether we talk about blue, we talk about green hydrogen, there are trade-offs here. Cost, reliability, and emissions are three things we need to keep in mind whenever we are considering whichever color we'd like to use in the energy system. Hydrogen's been hyped as the future of energy since the 70s, so why hasn't it become a reality yet? Back in the 70s, right after the Arab oil embargo, There was a lot of high hopes for hydrogen in terms of being the replacement for fossil fuels and making us oil independent. But that hasn't happened, as you rightly said. This is for several reasons, but I'll focus on a few. The first is that we simply haven't solved the supply equation. For hydrogen to really break through and become mainstream in the energy system, we need a low-cost, large-scale, zero-emission source of hydrogen. And that simply hasn't happened thus far. We have been very dependent on fossil fuels, particularly natural gas, for their production. There's reason for optimism. If you take a look at green hydrogen, the cost of electricity from renewables are falling as much as 80% in the past 10 years. Electricity is a key reason why green hydrogen has not been competitive in terms of cost to date. If electricity production from renewables continues to fall, we could have the potential to have hydrogen from renewable electricity that could compete with gray hydrogen. However, even with that, renewables or green hydrogen faces challenges of scale. It's simply going to be difficult for us to replicate the scale that is currently provided from natural gas, for instance, with green hydrogen, because we would need a significant amount of electricity to be able to replicate that scale. And electricity has other uses apart from just hydrogen production. There's also a significant opportunity cost we need to take into consideration, which is why blue hydrogen Stakeholders in the energy system are excited about this because this has the potential to provide the scale and is also more cost-effective compared to green hydrogen, which is important. 
However, the downside for blue hydrogen is that at least up to 10% of the carbon emissions are still emitted to the atmosphere. It's going to be great as a transition as we go towards carbon neutral economy by 2050, but it's not necessarily going to be compliant with our net zero ambition. So we need something that goes further, which is why you have a lot of conversations about innovation in hydrogen and why you have some stakeholders pursuing other avenues of producing hydrogen using technologies such as SMRs, for instance. What makes green hydrogen so costly to produce? It's costly because it's relative compared to something else. If we take a look at how we produce hydrogen from natural gas, your cost is about a dollar per kilogram of hydrogen. For green hydrogen, you have to understand that if you're going to produce hydrogen from wind or solar or any other renewable resource, you have to have the cost of electricity being a key component. The cost of electricity, even though it's coming down, the amount that we consume is still very significant, which is why the electrolyzers that facilitate the electrolysis process, their costs also have to come down significantly. The other reason why green hydrogen is expensive is that renewables are a stranded resource. When we compare where hydrogen is produced to where it's consumed, in the case of gray hydrogen, which is the way that we produce hydrogen right now, over 90% of the hydrogen that is produced, gray hydrogen, is consumed at the same location where it's produced. Production and consumption are co-located. In the case of green hydrogen, often you have wind being prominent in the coastal areas, in some jurisdictions, and then the centers of consumption are further distance away. So we didn't have to transport it. That transportation or connection of the production to consumption requires infrastructure. The infrastructure is expensive for multiple reasons. One being that hydrogen is a gas and as such has a low volumetric efficiency, which is why you have to compress it. Compression requires energy and also involves capital expenditures. You might have to transport it to the site of consumption. This involves a use of pipelines. Pipelines are not cheap. There's that infrastructure question. The overall life cycle costs associated with green hydrogen are not trivial and are yet to be competitive with the way that we produce hydrogen from fossil fuel sources. Again, like I said, gray or blue hydrogen. Is there anything that makes Canada uniquely qualified over the rest of the world to develop hydrogen and SMR technologies? There are multiple reasons why Canada has very strong prospects for being a leader in both the arenas of SMRs or hydrogen. First of all, let's focus on blue and green hydrogen because we know that we don't want to produce gray hydrogen. Gray hydrogen is essentially not sustainable, at least when we compare it to our aspirations to a carbon neutral economy by 2050. We have an abundance of natural gas. We're the fourth largest producer of natural gas in the world. We have an abundance of renewable electricity. 60% of Canada's electricity comes from hydropower. We have innovative, competitive firms who have developed technology. BC is renowned on a global landscape as being one of the leading jurisdictions when it comes to hydrogen technology. We have a trained and educated workforce. We have engineers, technical expertise that is abundant in Canada from places like Alberta to BC and, and others. We have much reason to be optimistic going forward in terms of us being a leader in the space of hydrogen. And then one last thing I'll say is that we also have significant domestic consumption. So for instance, in the oil sands, hydrogen is used to upgrade bitumen to synthetic crude oil, which we produce in the hundreds of thousands of barrels. We also use hydrogen to produce ammonia, which we use to produce fertilizer that feeds the country and feeds the world. We have that potential for scale domestically. 
We just need to use that to be able to take advantage of export opportunities that may also arise in future. But we need to start at home, and then we can go abroad and think about export opportunities for hydrogen as well. That's on the hydrogen side. On the SMR side, let's talk about our resources. Canada is the second largest exporter of uranium in the world. Canada has the highest quality uranium resources in the world by far. Saskatchewan alone is a leader in this regard. Then we also have a history of innovation in nuclear energy. Canada has been involved right from the origins of nuclear energy innovation. We're talking about the 50s and 60s. Our first full-scale reactor in Canada was built in 1968. We've had a long history of developing nuclear technology. We have been able to export Canada's can-do technology to other jurisdictions like South Korea, China, and others. We have an internationally renowned regulator that could license technologies and ensure that they are safe and operable. There's a lot of reason for us to be confident about our prospects going forward in the SMR arena. Let's talk about some of the projects that the sustainability team has on the go. Apart from our endeavors in the energy realm, increasingly we recognize that the notion of a circular economy is becoming more and more important. While we all agree that it's important to transition to a low-carbon economy or a net-zero economy with respect to climate change, we also increasingly recognize that we need to remedy some of the environmental impacts that our consumption of materials are having in Canada and beyond. There's no better example of that than plastics. One of our upcoming initiatives in the sustainability team is that we are delving into research that would unpack the question as to how can Canada transition into a circular plastics economy? How can we galvanize investments in our downstream recycling industries such that we can improve our recycling rates from the current state of just recycling 9% of all plastics produced? And yet that's a more respectable number. How can we leverage circular business models, making circularity more mainstream? How can we utilize business models in the commercial realm to remedy some of these environmental impacts? And then lastly, how can we take advantage of our innovation potential? In places like Quebec, there's a lot of innovation occurring in terms of recycling plastics and making them into useful products or products that can compete with what we call virgin plastics. Canada has a lot of potential in this regard, and this is something that we'd like to unpack further. We're excited about this, and we look forward to sharing the outcomes with you soon. Tunde, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can check out Dr. Oleteju's commentary, Hydrogen is Back, But Will It Break Through?, as well as the issue briefing, Nuclear Energy, a Crossroad in a Climate Emergency, by following the links in the episode description. And you can find all of our research projects, as well as our latest COVID-19 coverage at conferenceboard.ca. You've been listening to the Leadership Perspective Series by the Conference Board of Canada, hosted by Keir Johnston and written by Sarah Mells. This series is produced by Jen Duhamel, Nancy Nguyen is our audio engineer, and our executive producer is Michael Bassett. Ideas were also contributed by Rob Collins and Aaron Brophy. For more podcasts, videos, commentary, and ideas, visit conferenceboard.ca.